Good morning, friends. I'm happy to be here this morning. I'm happy for the opportunity to share with you today. Um, I just want to start by saying that the Lord is good. It's easy for me sometimes to, to be thankless, uh, to get frustrated with various things. Um, and I have to remind myself regularly, the Lord is good. He's given us so much that we don't deserve. So um, I'm going to pray real quick before we get started. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for this body of believers. Lord, I pray that you would allow my message to be edifying um, and that you'd bless them through it, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So one of the things that I've noticed over the last couple of years, or I should say one of the things that they've shown me, is just how deeply fear can shape the way that we act, the things that we believe. Uh, not just individually, uh, but even as a group, corporately. Um, here in the church, our nation as a whole, fear impacts people deeply. And now that I've noticed, I really see it everywhere. I remember back into the past, I remember being at my school when the Twin Towers fell on 9-11, and I was there in the morning meeting, and they said, we've been attacked, and I'm like, what? What are you even talking about, right? That wasn't even in my, and I didn't have a frame of reference for us being attacked, right? But the reforms that followed 9-11, both cultural and political, have been far-reaching, world-impacting kinds of changes. I mean, all you have to do is try to get on an airplane, and you'll see it. My own life was completely paralyzed by fear, and one of the Lord's greatest works in my life was destroying that fear. In killing my fear, he saved me from a deep pit of depression and self-destruction. It's no exaggeration to say that the Lord quite literally saved my life. Now today, I see our entire nation gripped, gripped by a fear that confuses and suffocates. In both the church and the world, many are terrified of COVID-19, every variant thereafter. Uh, my aunt was undergoing chemotherapy at the time, and we were so scared of giving her COVID. Uh, we were always wearing masks, no hugs, no nothing, because we knew if she got it, she was done. So we were being so careful. But now we see other things, too. Uh, we see draconic measures, many targeted at Christians. Um, up north in Canada right now, if you preach God's design for the sexes, you may find yourself in prison. In India right now, if you try to convert a Hindu to Christianity, you may find yourself on the wrong end of the police and again in prison. We're seeing similar legislation popping up all over the world in greater or lesser forms. I'll tell you this, we have reasons to be fearful. Or do we? Are, we're threatened on all sides by the tides, shifting tides of culture. But do we actually have reason to fear? The world does. They have plenty of reason to be afraid. But we don't rely on the things so trite as worldly power and material goods. I want you to know this morning that you have nothing to fear. And I'm going to give you some reasons why. And after that, I'm going to tell you what I want you to do instead. So when someone is on their own, and they only have their own feeble human strength, and their feeble, fickle alliances to protect them, they do have reason to fear. As Christians, though, we have something far, far greater than that to rely on. I listen to 1 John 4.4. 4. 
Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This verse and many others that I'll share with you this morning, uh, they're so often repeated, I think, that they've lost their bite for a lot of people. There is evil in the world, yes. There are terrible things happening everywhere, yes. But know this, the Lord God himself dwells within you, and there is nothing that the world can do to overcome him. He has made you his temple. You yourself are the house of God, and his spirit buttresses your walls and makes them impenetrable. Don't make light of that. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So who's in the world? 1 John 4, 3 and 6. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. The spirit of the Antichrist is in the world. He was in the world in John's day. The Antichrist to which John is referring here isn't some apocalyptic being. Rather, it's anyone that sets their sails against the wind of Christ. Antichrist, Antichrist, it means against Christ. These worldly men in John's day tried to oppose our Lord, and they failed. Christ is greater, and Christ is in you. These worldly men and their worldly philosophies can't oppose Christ today either. By virtue of your enduring faith in Christ, you've already conquered them, and you will continue to conquer them. And the work of conquering these antichrists in the world is certain, because Christ is sitting on his throne at this very moment. The Father tells the Son in Psalm 110, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now, and his enemies are being made a footstool for his feet. Why is the spirit that is in you greater than the spirit that is in the world? Because the spirit that is in you is the King of Kings. The spirit that is in you is the Lord of Lords. Of all kings, he is the greatest king. Of all lords, he is the greatest Lord. There are none higher. So which enemies are being made a footstool? Psalm 2.8, ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Every nation, every man that does not bend the knee to Christ. When Jesus sent his disciples on the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The Father said, ask me, and I will make all the nations your inheritance. And Jesus said, yes, please, Father, I'll take them all. He suffered through the cross, he made propitiation for us, and then rose from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. The crown was placed upon his worthy brow, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the one whose name you claim when you exercise the right by faith to become children of God. You are a member of the vanguard of the King of Kings, the proverbial tip of his spear in conquering the nations. The rest of the Lord's army is advancing right behind you. We know that the church militant will one day become the church triumphant. But the church fearful 
will become ash. Fear has no place in God's army. Our ultimate complete victory is in the future, though, right? What about the here and now? What about the things that are going on at this moment, right? They look pretty rough, and it sure seems like things are going to be getting worse for a while before they get better. So let me remind you that no strange misfortune has befallen us. These last two years were not some unexpected twist of fate. Listen to what Peter wrote to the dispersion in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice in exaltation. How long have we, as the American church, been praying for reformation? How long have we been hoping and praying and hoping and praying? I've heard it span generations of prayers. Why then are we surprised when the Lord's fire is stoked to purify us first and then to temper us? First Peter 4:17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? I've heard it said a thousand times that the world should notice something different when they see the church. Are you convinced that corporately, as the church in the United States of America, that the unbelieving world sees something? different. Once we have been purified, they will. And once we have been hardened in God's fire, it will be evident to all. It will be evident by our love, and our love for one another. Not just here at FRAC as we strive to love more and more with greater and greater measure, but all over our nation. It is for this reason that I recommend to you a Pauline formula. Put off fear, put on love. Do not grow weary in running your race because ultimately fear is sin and it is a sin that weighs you down. Many faithful have gone before us and God's promises remain for us and for them. Uh, Hebrews 12, one to three. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So put off fear. Put off sin. Put off anything that is preventing you from running well, anything that is weighing you down. Put it off. Do you know how hard it is to do something like a race 
with extra weight, extra baggage. Now, I've only ever climbed a single 14er, so I don't have much experience with this. I've been here in Colorado for 34 years, and I've got one notch in my belt. I mean, I'll take it, don't get me wrong, but I got one. Um, but I was scared to death of climbing that mountain the very first time. And the thing that scared me most was running out of water in the wilderness on top of a mountain. I don't know if any of you can uh, empathize with that a little bit, but um, I wasn't too thrilled. So there I was with my, uh, I had this hat that I pulled all the way down over my head because I hear it's cold on mountains. I had this big puffy jacket and I had my backpack stuffed with as much water as I could possibly put in it. The main pouch, I had to have at least four or five liters of water in the main pouch. The sides were filled, all the little mesh pockets were filled with smaller bottles of water, and the front pouches, water, water, all water, right? Um, I probably had five camelbacks worth of water easily. And, um, you know, I felt pretty good about it. I felt comforted initially, knowing, hey, there's no way I'm going to run out of water here. I'm set. But about an hour into climbing Quandry Peak, I realized that I had made a grave mistake. I was pretty sure I was going to die there on that mountain, covered in water. <laughs> my shoulders were burning from the skinny straps on my backpack. You see, this wasn't some fancy outdoor backpack that a guy like Chris might have. Um, it was left over from school. Um, you know, the straps were about that wide. So I got 50 pounds cutting into my shoulders. And I realized there was no way I was going to finish the climb like this. So I started giving the water out to other people in my group that needed it. And I continued giving water out until I felt I had just enough to make it to the summit and back down. Once I was able to let go of my fear of running out of water, I was able to share with the people that needed it so desperately. And I was able to finish the climb and the descent with little drama thereafter. Why load down your pack? Why make it so heavy? Put off whatever it is and put on love instead. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Love in practice. Love worked out. Those who love are in Christ, and there is no condemnation for them. Their punishment has already been taken by the Lord, so their fear can be banished and replaced with love. John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We are to love one another as Christ loves us. We're all familiar with the concept. I'm sure you've all heard it a thousand and one times. But what does that actually look like in practice? What are some concrete steps that you can take? Well, first of all, to stretch the race metaphor a little bit, there is a sense in which you are all running individually. We are all running our race. But there is a sense in which we are running together, too. So what is your role in supporting your teammates? Are you the big guy out in front, taking the headwind so that the rest can follow? 
Are you the one bringing up the rear to make sure that everybody's keeping pace and nobody gets left behind? Are you maybe looking for people that have tripped so you can help them up and keep them running? Maybe you just have an extra bottle of water or two. Each and every one of you has a role on this team, and your role is critical. It is essential. You are all essential workers in this race. Whatever you find your role to be, you must work at it for the benefit of all of us. With that in mind, let me give you a few things that you can do straight from the scripture. 1 Peter 4, 9 to 11. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I believe that hospitality is one of the biggest ways for us to grow in love for one another. Something that can often be hard when it comes to loving someone is figuring out how to even do that. Because everybody is different. Everyone has different needs. We're all in different places in our lives. As I just look out, there's not one person that's in the exact same place that I am in, and you're all in unique positions. How can you possibly figure all those things out? Be hospitable. I'm going to call out a bunch of people here. I apologize in advance if I make you uncomfortable, but I do not apologize for recognizing the ways in which I have seen you love. Mr. and Mrs. Gibb, I've seen you all have people over to, uh, to lunch Sunday after service time and time and time again. It's been an immense blessing to me, and I know it's been an immense blessing to others too. It's been an opportunity for me to, to meet new people at the church, and you're, you're probably the first people that invite new folks to, to lunch at your, at your home immediately afterwards. Nobody gets to them before you do. Thank you for that. That's excellent. That stands as an example for all of us. Joel and Tiffany had me over to play board games last Monday. I was there with Matt and John, and while we were there just playing board games, having a good time, it was such a blessing to me because I was able to share in their joy. And it wasn't just fun. I got a little bit more of a sense of the things that they're dealing with, what they're struggling with, and how their life is going. And I hope at some point I can understand well enough that I can really contribute. But I have to know first. I have to know where they're at, what's going on. I shared a meal with the Crowns recently at their home. Thank you. <laughs> Another with the Morins. Another with Daniel and Alice. I shared some time at the Frank's Cabin with Bob, Chris, and Dan. And as I get to know these brothers and sisters better, there are so many more that I need to connect with. Through these acts of hospitality, I grow more and more connected to the body of Christ. I better understand them, and I'm able to better love them. I've already seen so much growth in so many areas for not only these people, but for myself as well. And it's been encouraging. But hospitality sounds really hard. I've always thought it sounded hard. You gotta clean the house, you gotta get all this stuff done. Like, maybe you have to cook. Not my cup of tea. I don't know about you. Um, but hospitality ultimately isn't about candles and cloth napkins and fancy dinners. 
It's not about entertaining, right? It's about sharing what you have and being generous. Whatever God has given you, be generous with it. Bring your brothers and sisters into your lives and share. Sometimes you might not be sharing a meal. Rather, you'll be sharing your burdens. We're called to share those too. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What do your brothers and sisters need help with? Do you know? Have you done it? This is a great opportunity. Find out what people need and help them. Now, I'm comfortable with all kinds of work. I do IT for a living. I work in cars in my garage. Um, I do housework. I do all kinds of stuff. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. I feel fairly competent with things. But as a more recent homeowner, sometimes things do get a little intense. And I'll admit, way beyond me. And I need some help. I need some backup. And I'll tell you right now, anytime a jackhammer is pulled out, you need some backup. Enter Jordan Goodrich. Thank you. After I jackhammered a ton, literally an entire ton plus of concrete out of my basement, hauled it up the stairs and into the backyard to figure out what to do with later, Jordan Goodrich came, showed up with a, uh, with a wheelbarrow, a shovel, and a sun, <laughs> and helped me mix, pour, and float the cement in my basement. I now have a new laundry room floor where I had dirt. I spent the entire 4th of July holiday pulling that concrete out, and in less than an afternoon, we had a beautiful new floor done. Probably two or three days later, I had the washer dryer back on it. You wouldn't even know it was, wasn't there to begin with. And Jordan didn't just help me, he taught me how to do it. I can do it now. I'm getting ready to do some steps in my backyard. I've been saying that for like three months, but I will. I'm ready to make some new steps out of concrete now because Jordan taught me how to do it. I was out of my depth. I asked him for help, and he jumped right in. He didn't even hesitate. But that is one of his gifts. I have a newfound respect and appreciation for Jordan, and it's so easy to love someone else when they've shown love to you. That just makes sense, though, right? 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Make it easy for others. When you see the chance, jump. Don't just say, hey, let's get together sometime, guy. Whenever we're available or something and I remember or whatever. Don't, don't be that guy. I'm that guy, so I'm talking to me too. Like, don't, don't be that guy. <laughs> get your phone out, find it on the calendar, send some messages, and have it on there. Be willing not only to invite others into your life, but be willing to enter theirs. Be willing to take part in the lives of others. Don't let loving others and bearing their burdens play second fiddle to all of the other distracting things in your life. We're all busy. Right? If you ask somebody, hey, how you doing? Oh man, it's been so busy, so busy. I'm always so busy. Right? We all have the exact same amount of time. We're all busy, right? And it's... Um, there's nothing too important. There's nothing that should stand in the way of you loving your brothers and sisters. That is our principal command and the principal test. 
Exercise whatever the Lord has given you. Do not hesitate. I am fully convinced that any talents that you have spent time cultivating can be sanctified and used for building up God's body, for building up our family. So I need to throw my wife under the bus, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but my wife, Rebecca, has put a lot of time and energy into sewing. She's made some really incredible things, some amazing jackets, amazing dresses. Uh, she's made most of her wardrobe, and um, she's going to finish it soon. We, we keep saying that. She'll, she'll finish it. Um, and she just keeps getting better, realistically. And it's a hobby that she loves, but it's one that she has struggled to put to use for the Lord. Um, most of the time, it's just somebody's coming up and saying, hey, can you like, sew up this hole or maybe shorten the legs on these pants, you know? But that's really not that big of a deal most of the time. We would often think back to the story of Tabitha, who sewed clothes for her whole community and had such a great impact on them. But things are really different in these days when you can just go into Walmart and buy an entire wardrobe for the price of one garment in the past. So how could Rebecca possibly use this gift to really bless people in the church? Well, as it happens, there are a lot of people that want to learn how to sew. And even though it may not be the most practical gifting from a fiscal perspective, it's a very practical gift when it comes to investing in others. She's now teaching several people how to sew, and we're making connections in the church that would have never been made otherwise. So whatever talent the Lord has given you, you must cultivate it. You must practice it. You must build it. You must bring a return for our king, and you must use it to build up his church. If you speak, speak as one who is speaking the utterances of God. If you serve, serve with the strength of the Lord. I'm up here right now because God has given me a platform and a gift. And to whatever degree he has given it, I must use it for your good, to the very best of my ability. But that wasn't always so clear for me in my life. My entire immediate family has struggled with some form of deep, deep depression. And I'm not using hyperbole there, every single person. My mother was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, um, which was called manic depression back then. And after her death when I was a child, I struggled continually with bouts of intense anger and fear. Only growing worse and worse throughout adulthood. I have deep scars on my arms from cutting myself, and I self-medicated with alcohol. Cue a hundred foolish decisions on my part, and I had finally decided that I was done. Enough was enough. So I had swallowed 300 pills behind the library where I worked, and I got about saying my goodbyes. I only know the number of pills because I got about a third of the way through the bottle of a thousand uh, before a fire truck showed up. It turns out that my aunt, who had raised me after my mother's death, was literally down the street. I wasn't thinking very well at that moment, but I was thinking well enough to know I don't want to wrestle a bunch of firefighters, so I just let them take me. They made me drink charcoal to try to deal with the overdose, but I really don't remember anything after that. Um, I was told that they had to defibrillate me at some point throughout the night, 
um, and they didn't think I was actually going to make it. But I woke up the following morning, and I was immediately carted off to a mental hospital. Hospital. As I was taking those pills by the handful, I had a word for the Lord. You listen, and I will speak. I'm done with this, so if you've got something to do, just do it. I speak from my meager experience, but it is sufficient in this case. Do not test the Lord. As I came out of the hospital, I knew that something had changed, that something was wrong. In appealing to Doug for counseling sometime after the event, he told me that he thought I struggled with fear, a fear of loss. He said that I needed to pray to the Lord about my fear. And that's what I did. I prayed constantly. Every single time I felt the slightest twinge of fear coming on, I prayed. I said, Lord, help me, help me, help me. And I didn't know what he would do. But Doug had offered to do some counseling for me within the next few months. But by the time it had come, the Lord had already done his work. I became stable. My mind became clear. I no longer needed my medication to regulate my erratic mood swings. I became strong, and the Lord blessed me considerably. When the Lord took my fear away, he replaced it with a strength that I had never known. And he did it all through his love and through his sacrifice for me. So brothers and sisters, put off fear. There is nothing that the Lord cannot overcome. There is nothing for you to fear. Instead, put on love. Be hospitable. Use your gifts in love for the building of his body. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much. I'm always amazed at what you have done for me and Lord, I am amazed what you have done for us. I pray that you'll help us to see, help us to be thankful, and Lord, please help us to love. Help us to love our brothers and sisters and to build your church, recognizing that because of who you are and because of your love for us, there is nothing to fear. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.